Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. I tell you, it is, uh, it is so cool when you're in a room full of 5,000 teenagers and you can hear the sound of a Bible open. That's awesome. Uh, that's really, really cool. Uh, and then, like Lindsay said, the, the singing was just awesome. And uh, something I, I wish we could all experience. Maybe, maybe next year God will work in your heart to, to come with us and be a part of False Creek. All right, Second Peter. So when I quit preaching um, about a month ago, I didn't quit preaching, uh, but we, uh, we, we allowed some other guys to preach their, their first sermon or second sermon. And by the way, did they all do a great job or what? For those Yeah. So cool uh, to see what God is doing in the lives of people in our church. There's some churches who have to, uh, if they don't have somebody to preach, they have to hire somebody to come in from the outside. And uh, the good news is for me, if I get pneumonia or something, I know we got like six or seven people who are quite capable of stepping up here and preaching God's word. And I think that's really cool uh, in our church. And that was really one of the things that uh, I believe God called us to ascent for was to bring out the potential in men and women. Uh, who maybe have felt like they don't have much potential when it comes to the kingdom of God. It feels like, you know, maybe my role is just to kind of give money and sit down and watch a guy talk for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, uh, every week. And uh, to me, that was just such a sad version of Christianity because I truly believe God wants all of us moving and doing things, even outside of this gathering. Like there is potential in each and every single one of you. And I believe part of my job as a pastor, part of the thing that keeps me up at night is how I pull that out of you. Because I truly believe the promises of God are these. And these are what we design our whole church around. Number one, that you can experience salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from, thank you, Taylor. Give a hand to my wife. (laughs) Have you ever been cheered for for bringing water? The promises of God experience salvation. Salvation from what? You ever heard a Christian say, I'm saved? Uh, Okay, saved from what? Uh, And you're saved from the penalty of sin. That I am separated from God by nature. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, as the Apostle Paul would say. But I don't have to live in shame. I can actually live from a place of feeling as though I'm in right standing with God. And I can actually live that way because it's not about me. It's about what Jesus Christ did for me. He came. He lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death I deserved so that the penalty of sin is gone. It's, it's like a guy came to the bank and I had a million dollar debt and they were about to take everything I owned to get that million dollar debt back. And Jesus showed up and he said, hey, I'm going to pay that debt for this guy, which is really good news. Amen. Amen. But it doesn't end there. No way. There's more. But wait, there's more. Uh, man, I'm fired up. This might be an hour long. I don't know. I, I, I've, I've had a lot percolating uh, in my mind over the last five weeks. But, but see, because if a guy comes and he just pays a million dollar debt, then guess what happens after that? You're still broke. Right? Like, it's awesome. Thanks for paying my debt, but, but I still got to pay a water bill. I still got to pay a house bill. I still got to pay my car bill. Like, I'm still zero. I'm not in a real great position. But Jesus doesn't just end there. He doesn't just come die on the cross to pay our sin debt. He comes and he says, I'm going to give you my righteousness or my right standing. So it'd be like that same guy saying, I'm not only going to pay this million dollar debt, but I'm going to put a million dollars in your account. I've made you rich. And here's how this changes everything about our lives. Because you've already got an A in the class, friends. Like you're already right with God. I want you to understand that. When Jesus died for your sins, he didn't just die for the sins you've already committed. He died for the sins you will commit. This should be mind-blowing to us uh, because Jesus is, is like a painter stepping outside of time. 
So we can't get out of time, right? Like it's, it's all around us. We, all, our whole life is, is based in this time thing. But Jesus is, and this is really hard to believe, he's, he's outside of time. So he, he, can, he can see everything. He sees all of eternity. Like I'm looking at this piece of paper right now. Now don't try to understand that. It'll make your brain hurt. Uh, but what he does is he says, for, before the foundations of the earth, the Bible tells us, he decided he wanted you. And he died for every single sin you will commit. And you see how I know people are beginning to understand this promise is they can shift from, from a position of shame and guilt when they mess up to a position of worship. See, it, it works something like this. Um, early in my faith journey, and early, I think, in most people's faith journey, when you mess up, you kind of view God as somebody who doesn't see it coming. Like, God's surprised by your depravity. You know, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know he was going to do that. I don't love him anymore. But that's not God at all. See, what God is, is he sees everything, and he knows the big mistake you're going to make 20 years from now. And yet, people who really don't quite believe this yet, when they make a big mistake, what do you feel? You feel like God's far from you. You feel like God is kind of distant. You're like, yeah, I know that to be true, but I feel... And so what people do when they're with me, they'll pray, they'll pray something like this. God, please forgive me. God, if there's any way you can forgive me, please forgive me. And, and I understand the heart of it. And I think the heart of, of repentance is a great heart. But people who begin to understand this truly change that, God, God please forgive me, to God, thank you for your forgiveness. You see, there's, it's a subtle shift. But the shift is, God knew this was coming and it's already been forgiven. And that doesn't make me want to sin more. That makes me want to worship God more. Amen. That the love you had for me was even greater than the love I thought you had. Because I thought you could love me when I had made those mistakes that I knew about. But this mistake, you knew this was coming and you still loved me? Thank you for your forgiveness. Amen. So, uh, we, we, so we say from the penalty of sin, uh, we're saved from the power of sin. Meaning you don't have to live the rest of your life chained by the addictions and the compulsive habits and, and the sinful patterns that you have in your life. You know those things in your life where you're like, I'm never doing this again and you did it again? You know those things in your life that are so secretive you don't want anybody to know about because it's just like, man, that's gross and I'm never going to overcome that. Jesus says there's actually power in the Holy Spirit to overcome it. And the power comes through his spirit and it comes through his people, the church. And through those things, the spirit and the people of God, we can actually grow into what is Christ's likeness. And this is the ultimate goal of the Christian faith. In fact, our mission here at Ascent is this. We want to see everyday people live like Jesus would live if he were them in everyday life. But in other words, if Jesus were you, the way he would spend his money lines up with the way you actually spend your money. That if Jesus were you, the way he would treat his friends, the way he would treat his enemies, the way he would choose a job, all of those things would align with the way you actually do those things. And this is not a process that happens quickly. <laughs> this is a process that happens over the course of your life. But there is power through the Spirit and power through the church of God's people to actually begin to see that thing happen. And then the last piece of experience salvation is one day in the future we believe we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. This world is just inherently broken. And, and, and you don't even have to be a Christian to believe that. Like, there's just things that make you go, wow, this is messed up. And without God, it's very easy to become nihilistic. It's very easy to think there's no point to life. Because at the end of it, I don't know if you guys know this, and I hate to break anybody's heart. You're all going to die. Okay? Every single one of you. And by the way, everybody you love is going to die. And you're going to have to watch them die unless you die first. Praise God for coming to Ascent this morning. <laughs> But the good news is, and the reason why Christians have joy, the reason why Christians aren't nihilist is because we believe Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to make everything new. Jesus is going to restore the dead. They're going to raise from the dead. He's going to create a new world in which everything is the way that it is supposed to be. And this hope is what keeps us as Christians marching forward. And you say, Blake, well, how do we know Jesus is going to do that? 
Because he already did it once. He died on the cross, paying for the penalty of sins. But friends, he didn't stay there. Jesus is the most famous person to ever live, and yet he's one of the only famous people who we cannot take you to his body, to his remains. I, I can take you to, to where people say Muhammad is buried. I can, I can tell you, and everybody agrees that Buddha died. Everybody agrees that, that David Koresh died. Everybody agrees, fill in the blank with your religious leader that you think of. They can tell you that they died. But nobody can take you to the body of Jesus, the most famous man in the world. Why? Because it's not there. It's gone. And why did a Jewish carpenter who lived just 33 years under Roman oppression create a religion that has spread across the entire world? Because people saw a man who was once dead who is now alive. And when you see a dead man become alive, some things change in the world. And I believe in confidence that what happened for him, because he told me it would, he told me that he was just the firstborn of what would be to come. So my confidence is not based on blind faith. It's based upon a risen Savior who is not able to be found in a tomb. So we can experience salvation. We can find peace. We can know purpose. And ultimately, here's the goal of ascent. This is the last promise of God I think we have. Um, and that is that we can ultimately live fulfilled. That, that my life, I'm, I may not be the richest. I may not be the most powerful. I may not be famous. But I can live a life that matters. When I lay my head down at night, I can think this matters for something, not just for this life, but for eternity. These are the promises of God. And in 2 Peter, Peter is going to talk through some things that can keep us from experiencing those promises. 1 Peter, the the first letter written by the Apostle Peter, was all about external threats. So things from the outside that threaten the church. This is all about internal threats in 2 Peter. Internal threats within the church, but internal threats within us. Because I don't know about you, I could have every external threat removed from my life. Like, I could have all the money in the world. I could, I could have people who help me with everything I need. I could have all my health problems go away. And yet, friends, I would still have massive problems with my internal self. Because some of the greatest battles I face are right here. The anxiety and the hopelessness and the nights in which I do not know why I'm doing the things I am doing and I don't know how to stop doing those things. When I preach a sermon... And I preach about God's love and then I go home and I take a nap and my wife wakes me up and I'm grumpy and I yell at her. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? See, the internal battles, the internal enemies are just as bad as anything external. In fact, I would say they're worse than anything. And so Peter is going to help us understand how we can overcome some of these external enemies as we jump into his text. Now, I'm only preaching four verses. That doesn't mean the sermon is going to be really any shorter. Uh, but I am hopeful that we will get out of here before First Baptist Woodward because when Briley preached, uh, he said that I preach too long and I never get, out, get us out before First Baptist Woodward. Uh, and I'm, a, I'm about to prove that wrong. So here we go. Second Peter, verse 1, says, Simon Peter, you guys doing all right, by the way? Did you guys get enough sleep this week? Yeah? No? No? I thought so. All right. Okay. Here we go. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is the same Peter who's all throughout the Gospels. This is the same Peter who Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. This is the same Peter who walked on the water. This is the same Peter who we know as the the early church leader. He was one of the pillars of the New Testament church. So it was James, the brother of Jesus. It was Peter and it was the apostle Paul. These were like the the big guys. Um, There's really nothing like it today, but it'd be kind of like if if the Pope, if if you're a Catholic, the Pope wrote you a letter. That's how powerful this would have been. Uh, or if, if you go back a couple decades, uh, if Billy Graham were to write a church a letter individually, everybody would be like, oh, Billy Graham wrote us a letter. We've got to read it. So Peter, here at the end of his life, is sending a letter to the church, and he's trying to help them understand some of these internal threats that if they're not careful, 
will destroy them. It will destroy the church. It will destroy this movement that has begun. So this is Simon Peter. And then I want, you to, I want you to look at how he identifies himself. It says a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle means a sent out one. And for those of you who uh, gave your life to Christ this week, you committed. This is your identity as well. You are a servant. No longer are you the master of your own life. Jesus is now the master of your life. And you are an apostle, lowercase a, sent out for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You have a purpose in this life. God didn't just give you breath so that you can kind of go through life day by day. No, he gave you breath in your lungs because he has a great and powerful purpose for you. Uh, at the beginning of the week, we had all the kids in, in the small group. And we went around and, and we had the kids identify where they were on a spiritual journey. And there was three uh, kind of categories I gave them. And it might be helpful for you all to, to think, what category am I in when it comes to Jesus? And the first category is those who are indifferent to Jesus. The way I said it to the kids is, you know, when you're making decisions about what you do with your girlfriend or not with your girlfriend, Jesus has no say in it. When you're making decisions about how you talk to your friends, when you're making decisions about anything in life, how you honor your parents or don't honor your parents, all of those things are not really based upon Jesus. You make those decisions primarily based upon your feelings or what you think is best for you. And it's okay to be honest if that's where you are, but where you are is you're indifferent towards Jesus. Just practically, that's who you are. And then the next phase is neutral. And this is the one I said scares me the most. And by the way, for all the adults in the room, it scares me the most about you as well. Because in the Bible Belt, it is super easy to be in neutral. The problem with neutral is you don't go anywhere. You're stuck. And here's what a neutral person is like. A neutral person loves Jesus and can be all about Jesus when it works for them. Right? Like I can go to Falls Creek when I'm with other students who believe in Jesus and I can say, yes, praise Jesus. I can sing the songs. I can learn the church clap dance. I can do all of these things here. But then when I go home and I'm with my friends who don't believe in Jesus, I am not going to talk about Jesus at all or allow Jesus to, to determine my values for my life because it's not beneficial for me. And see, here's the thing, adults. We do this also. Like we love Jesus unless he starts talking about sex, money, or power. That's just the way it works for me and for you. And you have to decide in those areas, sex, money, and power, if you are going to be the one who is serving Jesus or if Jesus is going to be the one serving you. And you see what Peter says is he is a servant. That word literally could be translated a slave. It doesn't matter what I feel that I want. It doesn't matter what values the world sets for me. I'm going to live by the values of Jesus when they make sense, and especially when they don't make sense. And that's the next phase, which is committed. And this is the phase I wanted all of them to get to, and it's the phase I want all of you to get to. But I just want you to be honest about where you really are, because the committed person is the person who says, Jesus, I'm with you no matter what it takes. Like if that means I lose all of my friends, that means I have to get away from the girlfriend or the boyfriend I have right now, then I will do those things because I am committed to you no matter the cost. And I wonder, adults, are are you willing to do that in your life? Like are are you willing to, to step away from something that the world would say is good to follow Jesus, to be sent out on his mission? Do you live for the mission that you set for yourself? Do you define success for yourself or do you allow Jesus to define success? And do you create your own pathway to get to that thing called success or do you allow jesus to define the pathway to that thing called success see this is the difference between the person who when jesus says follow me and bear your own cross and the one whom jesus says i'm really not the one for you it's it's like the rich young ruler who came and he said i've done everything right and jesus says okay give your money to the poor and he walks away why because he's not really ready to be completely committed and jesus says that jesus was saddened by it but jesus says this is not for everybody and it's not for everybody. The message I preach is not for everybody. I'm, I'm here for those who are fully committed to the message of Jesus Christ and to be sent out on his mission. 
Now it says this. This, this, part's, this part's bonkers. Okay, uh, it says, to those, we're ending verse one here. It says, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now it's bonkers and, and none of you gasped or anything. So uh, I, I want to read the, the part that's really bonkers again. It says, to those who have received a faith equal to ours. A faith, e- thank you, I got a gasp. I think it, I'm related to the person who gasped though, so it doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> A faith equal to ours. A faith equal to the Apostle Peter's. Like, just let that sink in for a minute. Peter is saying, his faith and your faith are an equal value. And that word faith there, you'll notice it says a faith, not your faith. So it's not like a faith that you have. It's, it's faith in the term of a confidence. So Peter's saying, you have the same confidence that I do. Those promises I just gave you at the beginning, Peter says, you have just as much right to them as I do. But Peter, you're... You're the Apostle Peter. Like, you're, you're the guy who, who founded the church, you know? Like, you're a pretty big deal. You walked on water. You saw Jesus' transfiguration. And I mess up every single day. And I don't even know if I believe what I believe sometimes. I doubt, and I sin, and I fall, and I mess up. And you're saying that my confidence is just as high, just as precious as your confidence? And Peter would say, yes. And here's why. It has nothing to do with you. Look at me. All of those promises I just said, this is so important for you to get. All of those promises I just said cannot be taken from you based upon your effort. It's all based upon the effort of Jesus. Look at what it says. It says, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, this is really good news that I can be assured that God is with me. That God is for me. Not based upon what I do, but based upon what he already did. Because if we're doing it based upon what I did, Mother Teresa, she's got it handled. But Blake Farley does not. And yet what we find out is God doesn't look at Blake Farley for Blake Farley. He looks at him for the righteousness of what Jesus Christ did for me. (laughs) That's really powerful news. And here's why it's so good. Because in your walk with Christ, and and students who just gave your life to Christ, here's here's what I want to tell you. It's not going to be easy. Adults, how many of you can attest to the fact that life is very hard? That life will hit you. And life has a way of breaking you down. And so to have the idea that because I follow Jesus, everything's going to fall into place is, is really just, um, it's, it's really, quite honestly, a, a hurtful kind of theology to be preaching and to be thinking about because it's just not true. Um, Jesus weeps with those who weep, which means that people weep. <laughs> it means that there's brokenness. It means that we have to go through things. And it also means that in times, your life of following Jesus, you're, you're going to doubt. You're going to struggle with these things. And yet what Jesus says here is not that we have to have it all figured out in our mind because If we did, none of us would make it. But what Jesus says is that you have to just keep walking in the same confidence you have. Meaning this, it doesn't matter if you feel it. I don't feel like I believe. I don't don't, don't feel like taking another step and following Jesus. It just matters that you do it. Uh, it, It's kind of like this. Um, You can have faith in an airplane in which you kind of have a knowledge that you believe airplanes work. But when you actually get on an airplane and fly it, that's a different kind of faith that you have. And some people on the airplane, and I flew a couple times this past month, and it's interesting because you have the people who fly all the time and they're already asleep before the thing even takes off. Uh, and then you always have the, that nervous person who's like their first ever flight and they're kind of just over there like, oh gosh, I hope we make it. I don't know what I'm doing to myself. Uh, and and uh, yet we're, we're all on the same plane. And guess what? My faith, my confidence in the pilot and the plane, I don't really get scared anymore uh, unless it's really bad, uh, is, is not actually having any effect on whether the plane gets me there or not. You get that? Like the guy who's like, I believe in this plane. This plane is awesome. I'm not scared at all. Yeah, the motor just fell off, but I'm cool. It's great. That guy 
versus the guy who every time we hit a little bump of turbulence says, oh, Jesus, help me. Both of those guys are placing their faith in the same thing. And the point is not the amount of faith or the quality of faith that they have. The point is what their faith is in. Friends, Jesus is the airplane. So if you just keep walking with Jesus, you keep living with him as your master of your life. You take the next right step. And I can't give you what the next right step is because it's individual for all of us. But if you just take the next right step and in faith you listen and you keep obeying God, even when you don't feel like doing it, then you can be confident that God is with you throughout your life. As we continue, verse 2. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The word grace there is divine favor, and the word peace there is peace of mind. I don't know about you, but I would love to have more grace and more peace of mind in my life. Anybody else? No? Okay, it's just for Blake. That's fine. Woo, we got one hand. I love it. And it says that we can, we can actually, over the course of our life, experience more and more of this grace and this peace through the knowledge of God. And I want to keep reading because he continues, Peter continues with this word, this knowledge of God. It says this, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything, everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge. Again, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It says, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. And that word knowledge he uses there is not the same kind of knowledge like you're gaining knowledge right now when I preach and I, and I share uh, something that you never had heard before and you kind of put it away in your mind. This is the kind of knowledge that you only gain through experience. So, uh, for instance, I know I, I feel like I know quite a bit about parenting. I've read books. You know, I've talked to you, some of you who are parents. I have an idea of what parenting would be like. But all you parents know, he has no idea what parenting is like because he doesn't have a kid. Right? There's a difference. Like, people know everything about what it means to be a parent until you're actually a parent. Why? Because it's a different kind of knowledge when you experience it. You know, I, I love doing uh, premarital counseling uh, because people are just so happy. <laughs> oh. And they're just so naive and gullible. Uh, and I love it, you know. Like, you can tell them, hey, life's going to be hard. It's like, no, we love each other. It's great, you know. And then uh, and it's like, okay, yeah, okay, we'll see. And then a month later, they're back and like, help, please. <laughs> because there's a difference in a, in a, in a kind of knowledge of, of what it's like to live with another human being. And then there's, there's experiencing it, right? And what God is calling us into is not just to have a a head knowledge of him, but to experience it. And the only way you experience it is to be a servant of Jesus and to be out on mission of Jesus. See, for some of you, you're like, man, I feel stale in my faith. And it's probably because you're not following Jesus. You're not actually moving forward. You're stagnant. And as you move forward, you experience God. You've got to put yourself in positions sometimes where you don't know how it's going to work out. And in faith, you do it anyways. That's what I love about some of the guys who preached this week. They didn't want to preach. They said, I'm never preaching. And then in faith, though they were nervous, they stepped up here and in a step of faith, they did it. That's why I loved what I heard from some of the kids this week who they felt like God was calling them to take a step, to, to do something. And they, they said, man, I was nervous about what people would think about me. I was nervous about stepping forward and doing this in faith. And yet they did it anyways. Man, if you want to feel alive, if you want to experience God, those are the moments you got to have. You know, when the Bible says to confess my sins so I may be healed, and you've got a sin you've never confessed to anybody, it's quite terrifying to step up and say, this is my sin. And yet, will you do it? 
See, if you have a hard time praying, I guarantee you if you start doing things like this, all of a sudden you'll be praying all the time. Oh, God, help. Please, God, help me. Because you've got to have that. And in those moments is when you experience God. See, it's, it's kind of like the difference in, in a guy who knows a lot about cars. Like they can tell you, to me, cars are magic. Like I think about it sometimes and I'm like, how does this even work? Like I'm pressing a pedal and it's going forward. And it's like, you know, I, I, I'm turning a knob and there's air coming out. And I turn another knob and then there's music coming out from a radio station that's far away. Like I don't understand how that, like, is there, is there like static in the air that sends it to my car? Like it's, it's all a, a miracle to me. I don't understand how it works. And some of you might know it all. You're like, well, here, let me explain to you, Blake. And you can give me like a 300 page manual about how, when I press the gas pedal, it makes the car go and how oil and gas come together. Riley Goodwin back there, he could tell you all about it. And, uh, and, and it would probably just go right outside of my head because it's just too big for me to understand. Right. But I have experienced what a car can do. Right. Like I, I press the pedal and it goes. And I think it's pretty cool because I don't have to walk everywhere. And uh, I press the pedal because I like to go fast. Uh, I did not drive any of your kids this week. I drove a separate vehicle. Uh, and, 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 and so I have a, a knowledge of experiencing what a car can do, which to me is a lot more important than the guy who can tell you all the things about the car but has never actually driven one. Like, what's the point of that? That's great. And in the church, what we do often is we get really caught up on knowing all the things, and we never actually step on the gas and move forward. And what Peter's trying to get us to do, and what I'm trying to get you to do, is you've just got to start moving. I want you to experience faith, not just know a lot about faith. That's the kind of knowledge he's talking about. And here's why I am so excited about the future. Because when we begin to do this, when we begin to take faith steps, the world changes for the better. And people talk to me all the time about how they're worried about the youth or they're worried about, you know, what's coming up in in the world. And some people are like, I don't even know if I want to have kids in this world. And it can get really dark and gloomy. And yet I see 12 kids who gave authentic, and I talk to each and every one of them individually, authentic commitments to Christ, authentic commitments to living a life like Jesus would live if he were them. And I get really excited about the future. And uh, here's the thing. I want you guys to stop watching the stinking news all the time because it's ruining you. And now I sound like a really old man, and I know. Just hang with me. Just put your phones away and get off my lawn. Uh, because the, the news will give you what is negative. You know why? Because your brain is wired for negativity. Your brain is wired to see what is bad and what is negative, and you cling to it. And so if I, if I tell you a story about a person who helped an old lady across the street, you don't care, you're bored, you fall asleep. If I tell you a story about a guy who pushed an old lady down in the middle of the street, you're really interested and you're really fired up. Why? Well, because your brain is designed to see the negative, which is actually a really good thing if you think about it. Because we're really the first generation of humans uh, to not have to be worrying about getting eaten by a lion when we go to sleep at night. I want you to understand just how short, like from 1900 to 2000, a lot changed in this world. From 1800 on back, you had to be worried about your life all the time. There was everything trying to kill you. And so God made your brain in such a way that you could see the problems coming and you could actually then kind of you know begin to fight against those things. But what we do is our brain now finds the bad things in the news and we get a, an idea of the world that is really quite negative and hopeless. I don't know if you've ever heard church people. Church people are the worst at this, by the way. Uh, you know, it's like they, they're talking about the world and it's just everything's going downhill for, from here. You know, these kids these days with their church clapping. <laughs> when I was a kid, we did it quite differently. And... Uh, <laughs> 
That's my best old church guy voice. Uh, and, and so we, we kind of start getting this idea that if we were to look at the world, it's going downhill. And yet what Peter says here, I want to read it for you. Verse four, it says, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may share in the divine nature. In other words, you might share in the, in the life of God, where God is good, what God is doing. You can be in alignment with that. Escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Now, the way that verse is often read is escaping the corrupt world. But that's not what it says, does it? It says escaping the corruption in the world. The world has both divine good and the world has corruption. This world will always have corruption until Jesus comes back. But don't ever let somebody tell you that the darkness is not being pushed back. Because if the church of Jesus is a real thing, then the darkness of this world should be being pushed back. I want you to understand that. Woodward should be a better place because we are here. And if it's not, we're kind of missing the point of what's going on. And here's some things that the, the news will never show you, but I want to share. Because the church of Jesus Christ is pushing back darkness. And so I got, a, I got a couple of graphs of, of good news. If you want to go ahead and go to the first one. This is the population living in extreme poverty. These are the, the countries who, uh, since 1987, were in extreme poverty. And look at the graph, how it's going downward. We almost, uh, we're getting to the point where besides Africa, there's a realistic chance in the next 20 years that there will be nobody living in extreme poverty in the world. That's pretty powerful. And you know who's doing a lot of that work? It's missionaries going over, giving the cultural values of the gospel, and it transforms a place. All right, next one. This is the life expectancy globally and by world regions since 1770. We are living longer than we've ever lived. That's pretty good news. I don't want to die at 45. I don't know about you guys. Here's the next one. This is a really cool one because we talk all the time about violence. This is the homicide rates. Uh, you'll notice in the year 1300, we were really killing each other. Uh, <laughs> and uh, since then, look at that. Look at the steepness of the graph going down. You know what happened around 1400, around 1500, right there in that graph where the drop is really big? A little thing called the Reformation, in which the gospel of Jesus was preached more than ever. And also around then was the, the Tyndale uh, printing press, uh, which, gave, which was created and invented so that the Bible could be reached out to many, many cultures across the world. Up until that point, it was you had to come listen to one guy read and you had to trust that he was telling you the truth. And then at that point in time, everybody got the gospel for themselves to read. I mean, just look at the drop of what happens when we push back the darkness. Okay, next one. This is, uh, this is kind of a, a recent one. Uh, this is the nuclear stockpile. I don't know about you, but I was always frightened that we were going to die. And I realize it only takes one nuclear weapon to, to kill us all. Uh, but this is a very encouraging graph to me. Uh, as you see how our nuclear weapons supply has went down. Why? Well, I, I believe it has a big part to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because is it a violent gospel or an anti-violent gospel? It's people of peace who push back the darkness, and even people who aren't believers, but will continue in the, the values of Jesus, the values of peace, the value that everybody is made in the divine image of God, even those who are our enemies, even those who we as a country are against, are made in the image of God and do not deserve to be killed. That's really good news. Here's the next one. This is the, uh, the literacy rate. And again, you'll notice around 1500, what happened then? A device was, was made so that people could read the Bible and look at the jump of what has happened. See, these are just a few of the examples of what God is doing in the world. And I, I want to give you guys good news from time to time because you think the world's all messed up. You think our, our teenagers aren't doing good. And what I want to tell you is as we jump into God's message, as we jump into God's mission for the world, 
what we find is that the darkness is indeed pushed back. That's good news, isn't it? Can we praise God for what he's doing in the world? You guys aren't near as excited about that as I am. That's okay. So I want to I give all of you as I close. Lacey, you can go ahead and uh, come up. I just want to give all of you the same challenge I gave the, the students at the beginning of the week and then where we ended the week. And that is, just be honest with yourself. Where am I when it comes to Jesus? Am I kind of indifferent? Like, honestly, the way you're living your life. This is not a head thing. This is a you know thing. Right? It's like, I, I know where I really am. Are you indifferent towards Jesus doing things your way? And you don't really give any thought to Jesus? Are you neutral towards Jesus? You give thought to Jesus when he serves you, but you're certainly not going to serve him when it doesn't fit you what you want. Or would you say, Blake, I'm committed to Jesus. And for those of you who are committed to Jesus, praise God, keep taking another step because I know it's hard. Endure, endure, keep moving forward. You are doing good. You are pushing back darkness in this world. Just where are you honestly? There's, there's no reason to lie to yourself. And then I want you to ask this question of yourself. What would it take for me to move to the next stage? from either indifferent to committed or neutral to committed. What is keeping me from doing that? Because friends, I believe you can know God. And I don't just mean know God like in a sense of of you know mathematics, which I don't. Uh, uh, You know English, you know world history. I mean, you you can experience God. It's not like just knowing about a car. It's about driving a car. And it doesn't matter so much how uh, confident you are in your own faith. It's what your faith is in. You can be on the airplane terrified, or you can be on the airplane completely confident in what God is doing. Either way, you're on the airplane. And I would tell you, friends, you have the opportunity to follow Jesus, to be committed to him. And my heart was stirred this week as I saw these kids, a lot of them making big decisions and making big sacrifices in their minds, in their hearts, and in their lives as they go home. And I was stirred to believe that there are some adults, there are some 44-year-old men who need to learn from the 14-year-old men I took with me. Because they can learn a very, a lot about what it means to be committed to Jesus. So friends, I want to pray. Everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. And I'm going to give you about 20 seconds to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I want you to identify where you are. Just be honest with yourself. Am I, am I indifferent? Am I neutral? Or am I committed? Father, we need courage to obey you. God, this uh, life you call us to is not easy. God, you you call us to die to ourselves. You say that the cross is the way to life. Lord, to be committed to you does not mean life gets easier. In a lot of senses, it means it gets hard, but we can find peace and we can have divine favor in our life as we pursue you, as we know you. Lord, so I pray today that you would be stirring in the hearts of people, that they would begin to consider what it might mean to to move from neutral to committed in their lives. Not living a perfect life, but with a perspective of, God, I want to be all for you. I want to, want to live my life in such a way that I live like I truly believe what I say I believe is true. Jesus, I praise you and I thank you for the opportunity we have with our students. I praise you for these people who are here today, I believe, on purpose, for a purpose. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.